0: As far as the eye can see, there is like a red line of that
1: oil going right across the Gulf of Mexico. It is endless.
0: The turtle's coming up for air, and when it does, it's gulping the surface and it's picking up that oil that's floating on the surface. So it's taking it into so its, its body. So it's taking it into its body, and of course, if you're, if you're drinking oil, it's not, not good for the digestive system, so he's, he's in distress.
2: This oil spill couldn't have come at a worse time. With spring breeding season barely underway, the impact it could have on the animal population is being called unimaginable.
1: Well, with the British Petroleum oil spill, the size of San Diego County looming off the coastline, the results could be devastating.
3: If you put one drop of oil on a bird, that area now wicks in salt water, and the entire bird can get wet, lose their waterproofing, have a problem uh, diving underwater to forage for fish and food. And, uh, and starve to death.
0: The wetland is where the food chain
1: starts and the oil will contaminate that, killing the microorganisms and algae, then the isopods and crabs, which the bird and other animals feed on.
3: The oil essentially shuts down the whole ecosystem or food web at the very base or fundamental level. So so this is a big problem. and cleanup is, is, is going to be difficult and uh, not necessarily uh, something that we can recover from quickly
0: what i want people to know is this isn't Katrina, this is not Armageddon, the farther you get from the spill that chocolate milk looking spill s- starts breaking up into smaller pieces and it it looks if someone has ever had diesel fuel in their bilge and pumped it overboard it gets looking more and more like diesel fuel
1: farther away you get from it oil hits the beach hello there's oil on the beach Secondly, there won't be any people on the beach. Yes! That's a positive. Third thing, I might be able to keep my lights on at night because there won't be any turtles on the beach. The turtles will be smart enough not to show up. And at some point, the beach will fix
0: itself. Tammy Mines was surfing a stylist blog the other day and stumbled upon a matter of trust. It's an organization that collects hair and fur and then turns it into all-natural oil-collecting booms. Some are made from recycled pantyhose, and some of the hair is turned into mats that sit on top of the water. They've collected hundreds of thousands of pounds of hair from all over the country. It works for the same reason you wash your hair every day, because hair
4: collects oil. Mr. Brown, thanks for being with us. You've made some pretty stunning statements about this oil spill and the response by the president. Do do you honestly believe the president of the United States wants this oil spill to spread,
1: cause billions of dollars in damage, ruin people's livelihoods? This oil slick approaching, you know, the the Louisiana shore, according to certain, uh, NOAA and other places, if the winds are right, it'll go up the East Coast. This is exactly what they want because now he can pander to the environmentalists and say, I'm going to shut it down because it's too dangerous. While Mexico and China and everybody else drills in the Gulf, we're going to get shut down. Yeah, it's Monday, May 10th, 2010. You've got Oz in your ears. My co-host, David Osmond. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. David, what's up?
4: What's up? Well, that's the modern way of saying, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. What's happening? Well, you know that little, uh, the little item in your opening. Uh, for this week's show, referring to the dog hair and yeah, so the- forth. Poodles, uh, people, poodles, and, uh, and oil spill cleanup. Let me just expand on that a little bit for you. In, in case people think this is just hair. Uh, At least 400,000 pounds of human hair and animal fur, cat, dog, sheep, and alpaca, donated from salons and groomers throughout the country, are heading to warehouses in the Gulf region. Volunteers plan to gather for boom BQs to learn how to make homemade booms stuffed with natural fiber. There are more than 90,000 donors to this, uh, the lady in charge said it's truly just a surge of philanthropy. Mrs. Gautier said everybody could go get a haircut and donate. However, it looks like a giant hair sausage. She said it's really mm, very nasty looking.
1: Well, I saw pictures of it on uh, I was either Huff Post or CNN, and yeah. they are big, long hair sausages. Here's the good news, of yeah. course, for baldies like myself. We want. To do something about the oil spill, you know. Uh-oh. I wish I had I was more hair suit, I had bigger hair suit to give, but but it says that they are wrapped in recycled patioes so I could give my patios. There you go. Bald cross dressers do care. Yeah, I mean, oh my. Watching this. Watching the images of all this stuff, and then to hear Rush Limbaugh say, "Well, hey, oil well, hits my beach. It's okay. Nobody will be there. End of the world. I'll feel fine. I can turn on my lights and look nowhere." What? What are these people thinking? It is amazing, isn't it, that uh, this is some sort of
4: conspiracy to turn the country over to environmentalists? As if that could be anything
1: could be worse than that. The the backwash of ignorance, and from it, of course, the effluviant. Fluviance of conspiracies is amazing. There's Brownie, the man that totally screwed up Katrina, right? Yeah. And he's saying that that Barack Obama and his administration wanted this and they want it to spread so that they can, like, make cozy with the tree huggers and stop offshore drilling, which Obama himself supported recently. Uh-uh. And what did he say? So that the Chinese can the continue Chinese to can, drill yeah. in, in, the, in the Gulf of Mexico, right?
4: So let us establish that Please. the Chinese— are not drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, yep. and uh, the Cubans would like them. But, you know, we have a, we still have, I think, 1,537 atom bombs. That's right. I guarantee the first would go right down the Chinese throat if they started uh, uh, siphoning oil out of our bay.
1: You just gave me an idea. What yeah. if we made a boom, yeah. excuse the pun, yeah. out of atom bombs? We just bamboo. spring a bomb boom. We just string them together to keep the oil off the shore. Do you know that people are still talking about, like, what's his name, that uh, representative whatever Taylor from Mississippi who sees it all as chocolate milk? What a childhood he must have had. Uh, Well, it's still only 20 miles offshore. Well, yeah, and it's coming. It's coming. Uh, Where are these people living? I don't get it, David. I don't
4: either, Pete, and I don't think we're ever going to get it because actually they're living in a completely different country than we are, uh, and uh, it seems like their thinking is guaranteed to always skew to blaming someone
1: who is uh, not really responsible. Maybe subconsciously they know that they are living in an unsustainable culture an oil-based culture that is basically winding down. So they feel threatened, and what do you do when you feel threatened and you lack moral character, i.e. ability to take responsibility for the bigger issues? You blame the not-me. It's Obama and the environmentalists. Well, it always was. In a recent closed door briefing for members of Congress, a senior BP executive conceded that the ruptured oil well in the Gulf of Mexico could conceivably spill as much as 60,000 barrels a day of oil, more than 10 times the estimate of the current flow. BP has considered a broad advertising campaign, but top BP executives rejected the idea before planning even started. They said, In our view, the big glossy expressions of regret don't have a lot of credibility. Well, they're right. No matter how much they try to greenwash their image, the fact is they're spewing hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil in the Gulf of Mexico and everybody knows it. All right, alternate strategy. The company has dispatched executives to hold town meetings in the effective regions, and it has turned to lower-profile social media outlets to trumpet its cleanup efforts and move to organize volunteers. So if you go on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and LinkedIn, there will be BP showing you all the efforts they're doing to make things better, like running around Alabama trying to buy people out of lawsuits for $5,000 a head until the attorney general caught them. And then he said, well, okay, we won't enforce them. We got caught. Blush, move on. The company's top crisis managers have also been dis- dispatched to the Gulf. Mr. Gowers, the BP spokesman, said the company was now considering some targeted advertising in the affected states to publicize how to make claims and how to sign up to help with the cleanup and probably how to blame Barack Obama for the whole thing. Mr. Haywood, uh, excuse me, Mr. Hayward, also gave a briefing on Tuesday for reporters from Gulf Coast newspapers and the Associated Press in which he said he wanted to win the hearts and minds of the people. Win the hearts of mind? A Vietnam strategy to (laughs) gain some sort of sympathy for their disaster in the Gulf? Hearts and minds, I mean, good Lord. In a mixed message, advertising experts uh, analyze what's going on. This it's a mixed message. It is a situation laced with irony and perceived hypocrisy, said Abby Klassen, executive director of Ad- Advertising Age. It's a fine line between what they want to say for legal reasons and what consumers want to hear, which is, mea culpa, we accept responsibility, we will clean it up, and this will never happen again. Well, okay, the Interior Department uh, really is part of the deal. The government gave BP a pass. The Interior Department exempted BP's calamitous Gulf of Mexico drilling operation from a detailed environmental impact analysis last year. This is according to government documents. After three reviews of the areas concluded that a massive oil spill was unlikely and that the world is flat. Uh, the decision by the department's Minerals Management Service to give BP's lease and Deepwater Horizon a categorical exclusion from the National Environmental Policy Act and, of course, BP's lobbying efforts just 11 days before the explosion to expand these exemptions show that neither federal regulators nor the company anticipated an accident of the scale of the one unfolding in the Gulf. In one assessment the agency estimated that a large oil spill from a platform would not exceed a total of 1,500 barrels and that a deep water spill occurring offshore of the inner continental shelf would not reach the coast. Surprise! In another assessment, it defined the most likely large spill as totaling 4,600 barrels and forecast that it would largely dissipate within 10 days and would be unlikely to make landfall. Are we laughing? 60,000 barrels a day? Whoa! Doesn't sound like 4,600 barrels together for me, but maybe BP is working in the metric system. Maybe it's a European thing. Remember, Sarah Palin said what we've got to learn from this is not to conserve and not to stop drilling and not to get, not to get our heads back on our shoulders, but to stop trusting foreigners. Sarah's amazing. They never did an analysis that took into account what turns out to be the very real possibility of a serious bill, said Holly Doremus, a law professor at the University of California at Berkeley, who has reviewed the documents. Kieran Suckling, executive director of the Environmental group Center for Biological Diversity, said the federal waiver put BP entirely in control of the way it conducted its drilling. The agency's oversight role was devoted to little more than rubber stamping British petroleum self-serving drilling plans, Suckling said. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, it's not just BP's fault. We're all sucking so much oil. You can hardly blame these oil barons from going anywhere they can and sticking whatever they can in whatever sands or whatever ocean beds to get that oil because we want it, man. We want, in fact, we'd like it to stick it right directly into our arm.
5: Governments, your friends, you see, that's what I have to say, or they will bury me. Don't you try to criticize, and don't you ever try to talk about their lies. I don't know what you've been told, but last time I checked, we had the right to say the things we mean, and disagree and not have to face the guillotine. But if it's your head in the basket, then you just picked the wrong side of the revolution. Patriot Act is the riot act, with P A T. What the really means is that they're watching you and that they're really watching me. And anyone who disagrees is sure to lose their liberties. A patriot has got to keep his mouth shut. But if it's your head in the basket, then you just picked the wrong side of the revolution. King and his army wing, they are hell bent on the conquest. Our enemies are on bended knees, they're gonna see it always soon. Because the freedom that they steal from us, they try to export overseas. And now our former enemies are free to live a life of tyranny, the same as you or me. And it's a crime. To speak your mind, and it's a crime. If you heard, that plane is gonna fall Ought to know this shit called Guantanamo, where the people who we cannot trust are safely kept away from us. But well, we never have to worry if they're guilty or not, because we stick them in, a sell them, they are soon forgotten, and they're out of sight, and now to find it out of luck. But if it's your head in the basket, then you just picked the wrong side of the revolution. You choose a side to fight Forget about who's wrong or right If you like your neck You best as heck start rooting for the winner This brave new world is knocking at your door And you better let it in The Constitution's evolution never made a contribution To the revolutionary man It's a crime To speak your mind And it's a crime
1: You know, Dave, uh, Phil Proctor and I, many, many years ago, uh, did a small stage show called america in which uh, it was a basically a, a kind of a telethon in which America sold off all of its assets because it was bankrupt. It was, and then it was made into a movie. And then it was made into a movie. Yeah, yes, of course, it was a great Hollywood experience because we wrote the first draft, and it was great. And they took it away from us and had everybody else with other names write it, and it came out entirely differently. Mm. But at least it was made into a movie, right? Okay, well, yeah, uh, you know, so nothing like the nothing like the future to come true, huh? Oh uh, no, uh, here we go. Yeah, the default answer for a long time when uh, when real estate's horizon seemed uh, limitless was own. Just own. Uh, own, right?
4: own your property. Own, oh, yeah. It. own yeah. it. Yeah. But
1: lately, some individuals in businesses have decided that maybe owning is not always better, especially when you have other pressing needs for cash, like paying off your creditors Uh All right. so Uh now the idea has spread to some states with serious debt problems in January the state of Arizona or the laughing stock state of Arizona (laughs) concluded a deal to sell investors ownership stakes worth a total of 735 million in several state owned office buildings arenas and other properties including the buildings housing both chambers of the state legislature (laughs) this (laughs) is good yeah yeah. yeah, respect for the process Uh Arizona will lease back the property from its new landlords uh, among them the mutual fund giant's fidelity and vanguard for 20 years, after which ownership will revert to the state. Of course, there may not be a state of Arizona in 20 years. There may not be a fidelity or vanguard, more likely. I mean, can you imagine uh, th- the thought 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that we're going to s- sell off the state house and rent it back because we're tr- so broke? The triviality of American political thought yeah. can be most
4: emphasized by this story, that The pride of this country was to build capital buildings, was to build enormous, beautiful structures that housed our memories, our uh, our, uh, history, our photographs, our portraits, our dinosaur bones. This is what made America great. I mean – Truly, museums were part of what made America great. It educated
1: kids, whole thing. Yeah, you big got to... deal, gold, gold leaf on the domes and the names of people who died making it, remember? And now you can't get in the front door of the Supreme Court.
4: No, no, not no. that they have rented, uh, you know, rented to AIG. But they, I'm sure
1: it's going to come. They, they're basically they think they're thinking of uh, selling uh, the Supreme Court to Goldman Sachs and then renting it back. Renting it it's back, it's a deal. Yeah. It, it, it's just a deal that's bubbling. Well, Mr. Every- Goldman goes through the front door. Everybody else sacks. Yeah, right? Right. So some Arizona politicians have mm. sought to make an issue. Of the saleback lease, are, are we surprised? Uh, it's, it's Dean, Martin, <laughs> Dean Martin, not the same Dean Martin, the, the <laughs> drunk, the, the, the facetiously drunk treasurer of the state, and a candidate for the Republican nomination for governor this fall, asked, "How many times can you sell the state capital?" Who huh. wants to make a long-term investment in a state that is renting its capital building, he said, on, on, on the campaign trail? <laughs> now, California, right, it's coming right along. Yeah, i there, bet they're, it's they're, they're, They Sager, received yeah. sale leaseback bids on a portfolio of 7.3 million square feet of office space, including mm-hmm. the San Francisco Civic Center, where the state Supreme Court sits.
4: Oh, no.
1: Oh, and yeah. That's
4: one of the prides of San Francisco, that oh, Civic Center. Oh, yes. All I, those beautiful big buildings. Isn't
1: that the Moscone? Is there? Yeah, a- yeah. And also the uh, well, Yerba Buena. I performed in the Yerba Buena. It's a great place. So they're going to sell it to who knows where, maybe to Walmart. Uh, who's going to buy it? Uh, I tell you, it's just crazy. It's, it's this implosion of, of America. Um, this idea of federalism is being attacked by all these ignoramuses. One of the things that teabaggers hates is the idea of the federal government.
4: Well, or, or really of the state, obviously the state government owning anything. If you don't even own the buildings that your legislature meets in, then how are you able to pass a law
1: against or for anything? Particularly against anybody who owns your building.
5: lifters, you're getting away with value. Listen to what Mrs. G86T91 of Honor Farm, Missouri, says about value at Shoplifters.
2: I walked away with over $130 worth of hams in my pants,
1: and it only cost me 50 bucks in 60 days. Shoplifters,
5: you're getting away with more food. This week's special squirrel squares from Road Ready Flat Snacks, Velcro macaroni sticks to the outside of your ribs, and stupid Belgium waffle hats. Shoplifters, we give you a bigger head start. Remember, there's no long lines at our checkout counter, because there are no checkout counters. We just follow you to your car and read you your rights. Shoplifters, a market that puts you away.
4: Visit our seven convenience stores in King's Nose. You know, in uh, Manhattan, on the wonderful Great Grey Way, just past the big hole in the ground at 45th and Broadway, Uh, A new musical is playing, another new musical. Broadway can't do anything but musicals these days, and they're usually based on popular songs, but this one is based on a popular news story called Enron, and the funny thing is this is imported from England, where this was a reasonably hit show, and they expect it also to be something of a hit on Broadway. Well, you know, Pete, I know that you were there a long time ago when Enron originally happened, so let's take a listen to The Enron Ring.
1: You know, Bebop being so indigenous, you know, being so real and being so local, even when he has gone beyond... Good and evil. I mean, above Fresno is beyond good and evil. Sure, man. Reminds (laughs) me,
4: right, man.
0: (laughs) I mean, hey, I'm still here. Oh,
4: you know, your music is gone. and You're still here. I'm still here. My music is gone. Unbelievable. We didn't know you
2: could exist
1: without that underscore. I I thought I
4: could not exist without that music.
1: Bebop, you know, we just recently David and Phil and I were in Houston just two days ago. Oh, I love Houston, man. And we were we were there to see the Ring trilogy, but not not the not the Tolkien Ring trilogy, but the Wagner. Ring trilogy done by the Houston uh, Opera. Yeah, they, it and, but, was
4: a, a new version of it. But a though, new version Pete, because um, people what's are that?
1: so well, because they're so interested in what's happening. It's now called the Fall of Enron. Oh man, yeah, that's
4: in all
0: the news now.
1: Yeah, and I understand there's even a touring show up your way. You may have seen it yourself. I want to read you from the program, try to explain to you what was going on. Now, you guys have got to tell me if I got this right. The, okay. Yeah, uh, There's a bunch of these women come on in the beginning, right, in this kind of cave, and they are they represent. There's 881 of them. Uh-huh, and they right? represent the offshore subsidiaries oh, yeah. of Enron, right? Very romantic. Very romantic. And they're, they're hiding the gold, right? Yeah, and, right. And from the investors who don't know they've lost it yet. I love this part. And then Jeffrey Schilling, the CEO, plays Loki. <laughs>
3: and, and he comes in and he steals it from them
1: with an accounting <laughs> ruse, right? Yeah. And then, okay, then the devil, played by Fastow. Oh, very oh, good, right? very good He comes up against... George W., who plays Wotan, right? Yeah. All right, now, now, Ken Lay is Siegfried, and he finds Brunhilde, who represents the regulated energy industry, encirculated in a ring of cold regulations. She can't move, right? Yeah, right. So he kisses her with the dark kiss of deregulation. Oh, I love that. And she is freed. She is taken off the books. Medicine. See, there she goes. And, then the, and now, now the Valkyries, the Valkyries come in on their winged horses, and they ride quickly out of the theater and try and cash their Enron philanthropic checks before they go bad. But they don't. They lose, right? Yeah, I got and, it. Okay, then, here, here's what happens now. This is a foil in the That's, that's Henry Waxman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Henry, Henry Waxman now comes the fifth, in. The fifth, the fifth. Oh, swallowed his mustache. He swallowed his mustache. <laughs> he is he, playing. He plays the ultimate good and evil, and yeah. he kills Ken Lay as Siegfried, and he reduces Boone Hill oh! to, uh, oh! to, to, to regulation. Yeah. She can no longer be off the books, and then Ragnarok, we're beginning to lose you now, man. Yeah, yeah. Ragnarok, which is the huge town of, of, of Houston, goes up in flames, and the Bush administration falls. Oh, yeah, love that part. It was a great oh, opera.
0: Great, man. That's uh, good. Much better than our little theater production up here. Oh, yeah, really? No, it was nothing. Besides the actors, their teeth were chattering so hard, they couldn't sing at all.
1: Well, we were really impressed, and at the end of it, the whole theater went dark because they couldn't pay their Enron mm-hmm. electricity bill. Right, they right. probably yeah. impounded your cars, right? They, they did. They just pounded them, in fact, and yeah. they, they squeezed them in these little balls and. And sold they, sold them the, they sold them to China. Sold them to China
4: along with apparently a fifty thousand tons of crumpled Twin Towers.
0: Except you guys lead an exciting life out well, there on the street, man. Well, yeah. there, when
1: we went out to the parking lot to get our car, there was this one guy, man, with you know named Baxter, and he did not look good at all, man. He had the windows up and he had a thirty-eight. He was like, and he was crying. He was saying something about offshore money, and then that was the last I heard. It was the really... poor guy. Poor guy. He man. showed up on CNN later. Well, you see, everybody gets famous, man. All well, y- everybody gets one of those crawls. Right, every One crawl below. One crawl, that's all you get now. On the phone with me, Scott Wild, Radio Free Oz's social media guru. How you doing there, Scott? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Well, I'm really excited because... Um, those of you who heard the last couple of segments that I did with Scott, we got a general introduction to social media and the effect that it has on you, the the other end, and, and the people who produce product, et cetera, et cetera, the democratization of communications, all of that. Well, now Radio Free Oz is going to be working with Scott in order to enhance our social media, uh, what shall we say, presence or something. What do you yeah. have in mind? And I know that what you're planning will also be relevant to other people out there. So let's all listen up. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the first things that we want to do is we're going to take a look at the uh, site infrastructure that we currently have. And we're actually going to utilize a, uh, or use a WordPress blog to help deliver the content. So all of the shows um, will be posted every single day in a WordPress blog post. Okay, and there's a couple benefits to that. It makes it searching, you know, you can put your table of contents like you currently have on the home page inside of each blog post. Yeah. But one of the things that social media allows you to do, if you hook it up correctly, once you hit and post that blog article, which is your daily show, we can automatically push it out to your Facebook fan page and the Twitter profile and LinkedIn and several other social media sites to get it in front of a broader audience and let people consume it where they want. We can also push it out through iTunes like you're currently doing and continue to um, put it on YouTube and, and, and also offer some enhanced Versions, um, you know, like there might there'll be an MP3 version or a, just a streaming audio version, but then allowing people to download an MP3 version or an enhanced video version that has a, you know a synchronized images of the person speaking, or or the um, you know album cover of the person singing. In that way, it'll, they can stick it on their iPod and take them with them. You know, one of the things that we want to make sure is that people can consume radio free where they want, when they want.
1: Absolutely, I, make I, it
0: really convenient. Yeah,
1: I, when we were only streaming on demand, I was talking to a couple of my old friends. One of whom designed the pattern recognition for Apple for the Newton, and he was—he's a great. Computer scientist and I said, "Well, Larry, uh, how do you like it?" He said, "Peter, he said, you've got to get it. I got to get it as a podcast. I I can't sit around my computer for an hour. I want to put it on my iPhone, go into my car, and listen to it when I drive to work. Bingo! I understood what was going on. We're you know we got the i." the iPod thing down now or the podcasting down well so we're going to be able to reach out automatically instantaneously we 're going to be able to send our message and our art and our people and our information to a much broader audience is that correct
0: that's correct and the other thing that we're going to put into place is, is vehicles for people to dialogue and, and start to tell us how they want to consume this information and what's valuable to them and what's not valuable or you know start to get feedback because um, you know one of the things that i that I coach all of my clients, in is that your brand, and that is the experience that people have with your product, you know, whether it's Firesign Theater or Radio Free Oz, as you know, your brand doesn't change much over the years, but how people consume that brand does. Uh-huh. I mean, I look at all of your fanzines, like the Chromium Switch, you know, has gone from a print publication, now it's a PDF, and you can, you know, but you can still get the same quality information, you can still get the same great material, Right. and, and, and Radio Free Oz is now available to the world you know, instead of just one radio channel.
4: That's correct. So
0: we want to make sure that we understand what, what's the next thing out there. And, and if, as people, you know, maybe they're, they're saying, well, I want an app for my Droid Incredible that I just ordered. And so, you know what, let's figure out how to get that on the Droid Incredible as an app that people can just click that button and consume Radio Free Oz anytime they want.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a and, gift, right? As, as you said earlier, it's, it's about what we can give, not what we can take. Exactly.
0: And it's creating that community. People come for the content, but they stay for the community. And as you well know, you have a worldwide community of people that are a big fan of what you do. And you know what, let's let them... Uh, could talk amongst themselves and and help share some great ideas for where do we go next with this.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Scott. We'll be talking again real soon. Scott Wild, our social media guru, always a pleasure. Uh, You know, I hope everything's going fine out there in Bismarck. By the way, there's the other thing. You're in Bismarck, uh, you know, North Dakota. I'm in Whitby Island, Washington, and space is not a problem. Here we are, and everybody that's listening is everywhere around the world, probably in Tashkent in a a, a track traffic jam or or Tokyo, you know, or wherever. It's it's quite amazing. Everywhere but China, because I said the word carrot, and the word carrot has the same ideogram as the president of China, so we've been blacked out. What can I say?
0: (laughs) Good stuff. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Peter.
4: Talk to you soon. You know, other news of uh, the recent week was that they're selling Newsweek or they want to sell Newsweek magazine
1: But don't isn't Newsweek magazine always sold it's available on the newsstand That's all? not
4: what I mean Uncle Pete They're actually trying to off the magazine because it's losing huge amounts of money.
1: Is it the Washington Post that owns them?
4: Yeah. 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 And uh, after all, it is a business and all that. But it reminded me, because my very first job out of college was at Newsweek magazine. Really? Yep, in New York City on Times Square in the old Astor Hotel, Mm -hmm. which may still be there, I think so. Uh, The Astor Hotel was a really famous, you know, turn-of-the-century You know, palatial great place. And uh, by the late 1950s, Newsweek had several floors of this place. And I went to work as an editorial assistant in the editorial makeup department, Mm -hmm. putting together the weekly magazine. We had a three-hole binder and put in the ads and then you'd begin to fill in the stories. And it was interesting as far as it went. Of course, everything was mechanical in those days. As a matter of fact, they had trays and trays of metal type with the uh, obituaries – of famous people who hadn't died yet, I still sitting there type. in lead. Yeah,
1: lead obituaries of the not yet
4: dead. Yeah, what a world! <laughs> and uh, the it was famous. Uh, our office was uh, famous for being uh, Enrico Caruso's bathroom in his original suite at the Astor Hotel. I don't know whether that's true or not, but those those were those were the great days where Time Magazine was four square, gray. All the columns fit the columns. That's All right. the pictures fit the columns. Everything was the same. Over at Newsweek, man, it was splash territory. And the most exciting thing we had every week was freak set type. Oh yeah, we'll be doing freak set around this story. So you know, the uh, photo was just an ootz wider than the column. Ooh. And so, as a as a as a kid on his first job, I'm sitting there counting letters, you know, by the, by the pica, by the, you know, in order to make sure that it didn't run over when it got to Philadelphia or Detroit or wherever it went to get printed. And uh, I made a critical mistake once on that page that, you know, the personalities page is just one page and everything's got to fit. There's no run over. Ooh, I miscounted. Oh, did you get
1: in trouble? Oh. Oh, Oh, well, you know, Newsweek used to be much more conservative then it became like about five years ago, it began to make a real change and became a seriously liberal um, magazine. And uh, uh, time, which was always gray, all of a sudden discovered that there was this thing called modern graphics. And all of a sudden they're all over the page. And and that I- took them, that took
4: them <laughs> 55 years or so to get around to that.
1: And now, if you two issues of Time magazine that I picked up in the last couple of months are puff. I mean, it's the front page is War in the Pacific as we remember it. You open it, open it up. It's a two-page double truck ad for um, HBO's War in the Pacific.
4: They so, like that. That's paid copy. <laughs> it's better than having to fill a page yourself.
1: But, but do you think that Moon will buy the Newsweek? I mean, he—, he he buys newspapers. He buys the. He owns the whole fishing fleet in Gloucester. Mm. I mean, Reverend Moon. You know, Newsweek. Our mm. way. Oh no. I,
4: I I don't look forward to that. Let me put it that way. But the last thing that I did at Newsweek, they offered me the uh, the uh, makeup editorship of the international edition. Oh, cool. Yeah, and the trick was you put the ads in the book first, yeah. and then. Your job was to cut the stories down to fit the number of ads they had. And I looked at myself and I said, I don't think I want to do this. And so I got into radio. And here you are.
3: Take a little memory and you wrap it up in cloth. Whisper something soft through the crack in the back door out into the air misteriosos revelados del Congo. retire de la maldad brujo poderoso chengo macho buenos sueños convertidos en realidad buenos sueños convertidos en realidad Stomach, you began to shiver. We're waiting for that sun, you know that Sunday sun. Then we'll go marching, baby, one by one. I start by calling you. I start by calling you. I start by calling you. I start by. go, you stare into their eyes and everybody knows, the fire in their hearts is theirs alone. you never see them coming but you're watching when they go, I start by calling you, I start by calling you.
1: On the phone again with Rosalind Peterson, the president of Agricultural Defense Coalition, and on our first get together on the phone, we talked about these contrails, uh, particulate matter coming out of jet engines, and the effect it's having upon the environment, and also the Air Force beginning to to shower us with. Uh, aluminum particulate matter that they call chaff. We just got into it. So, uh, Rosalind, uh, what is the state of, the, of these programs right now? And, and just how serious is this?
2: Um, I think it's quite serious because uh, the jets are beginning to obscure the amount of direct sunlight that's reaching the Earth. And also, um, they're causing global warming, especially over the Arctic region in Alaska, according to some university studies. And also, they changing our weather. So what we have to know is when you start producing these man-made clouds, you start changing our environment, and it's not always for the best. So we're really concerned because water vapor as a greenhouse gas now is combining with other greenhouse gases, and it exacerbates the effect and enhances the effect of all the different greenhouse gases when you add water vapor to them so we are concerned because the jets are not only giving us jet fuel emissions they're contributing to water vapor which is a greenhouse gas and they're changing our climate with demand-made clouds. So these are our real concerns about the jets at this time.
1: Well, okay. Now, w- w- my first thought would be, let's go to the government. Let's go to the people. The, the, let's go to the environmental. You know, the EPA. Let's go to. Um, let's go to Congress. Let's go. Let's go to anybody that can do something about this. What's the history of, uh, uh, you know, of, of taking this forward to government responsible officials? What, what's gone down?
2: Well. By the time I started reaching this in 2002, many people had been researching it before me uh, across the United States and also around the world. And when they went to their elected officials thinking that this wasn't right, they were actually treated quite badly. Their elected officials uh, told them that it was a hoax or an Internet hoax. And when I personally wrote a letter to Senator Dianne Feinstein in California, what happened was um, not, I got a letter from the military back what the u s air Force what and the u s and even though I never raised the word chemtrail in my letter, the Air Force sent me back a letter um, at the request of Senator Feinstein, stating that there were no um, there were no such things as chemtrails, that it was a hoax and an internet conspiracy and that they had investigated and that everything was normal and nothing was happening. So I was disabused of the notion that any of my elected officials would oppose the Air Force and ask for any um, investigation of the subject, and I found through my research and talking with many other people across the United States that they had run into the same brick wall, that if you talked about the jets, then the word chemtrail popped up, and everyone was told that it was normal and natural and go away and don't bother us.
1: Well, well, this this is not a, obviously not a good situation, but what about law? Doesn't this violate the Clean Air Act? Can't we bring some sort of a or can't someone bring some sort of a suit forward? Uh, that would get some sort of publicity. That might throw some sunlight on this.
2: Well, the EPA goes to say that um, since there is no such thing as chemtrails and they won't investigate and also the epa writes a lot of reports talking about jet fuel and jet fuel emissions and doesn't seem to want to regulate the jets past a certain point um, they're not going to be helpful the california air resources board says it's out of our jurisdiction if you ask anybody in the state of california they say, well this is u.s. jurisdiction When you go to any of your elected officials who handle U.S. jurisdiction or their agencies, they all, they all say that it's all normal and natural and been happening since 1919, which is impossible because jet engines did not come into being into the United States except in their infancy after World War II when they brought home planes from, small planes from Germany and France.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, jet, the jet industry, the, the passenger industry and, and jets in the military is really from the 50s on. We, we all know that. Well, well, this is very interesting and a bit shocking and a bit disturbing. And we're going to talk further with you, Rosalind, uh, on a future Oz show. And thank you very much for being with us.
2: Well, thank you for having me on your show.
1: Uh, good
4: evening, uh, Mr. Bergman. It's a pleasure to be here tonight to uh, uh, establish with you uh, the South Whidbey Alien and uh, Terrorist Report. I, I must I must give uh, you your proper uh, introduction. This yeah. is
1: Sheriff uh, Luther Axe yeah. of the— um, Emerald Island uh, Sheriff's that's Auxiliary. Right.
4: Uh, yeah, uh, the department, I drive one of those cars and we drive it up and down the roads and let uh, the presence, it's just the presence of the of the police that they want to see. But uh, on on Wednesday, April 14th at 10.43 p.m., a man said someone had just took uh, $20,000 from his bank account. Now, that's where this whole conspiracy starts, because the next day on Thursday, April your 15th, why well, at 2.06 p.m., two tan-colored dogs were seen blocking the road at Smuggler's Cove and Eagle Bluff. Now, you may not think that's anything, two dogs blocking the road. Come on, this is terrorism.
1: That's $10,000 a dog. Yeah, you betcha.
4: Now, at at the same day, same night, that 10.04 p.m., excessive gravel was reported in the road near Millman Road and useless Bay Avenue. No. Yeah. I'm beginning to see see the bigger picture. Yeah, Yeah. the pattern is beginning to develop for you. Well, then on Friday at 4.20 p.m., garbage— Garbage was dumped on Burley Road. There's never been any garbage on Burley Road before this as Saturday. Not. It gets worse. It gets worse. And I'm sorry to bring my emotions into this, but well, it's, it's it, getting it's my gets, stomach upset. All up, so right, right, at nine thirty-two p.m. on your Saturday, April the seventeenth, someone, and we don't know who. We're investigating. Someone was knocking on the windows at a home on North Bluff Road. Now, no. if that don't terrify you, I don't know what does. But but now, here's the killers on Sunday, the end of the week. Sunday,
1: always the worst uh-huh. day for crime.
4: Terrifying. On Sunday, April 18th at 1218 a.m. A.m., mind you, in the morning, a woman said she overheard a conversation earlier between two people who were talking about Murder. Well now, and then wait! Don't 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 go away yet. There's more at eleven at one forty four a.m. We're talking early morning hours here. A woman on Campbell Road said it sounded like someone was throwing rocks at her house, and and not to be outdone by that, the next morning ten eighteen, a woman took her dog for a walk on Double Bluff Beach, and the dog rolled around in something smelly, but the woman wasn't sure what. And we are investigating, Mister Bergman. We are investigating. Well, if
1: if I have ever heard. A stronger case for international terrorism, I don't know. I can't remember. I mean, it's so obvious. $20,000 gravel, dogs blocking the road, people are talking of murder, dogs r- r- rolling in unidentified smelly stuff. Uh, no, no, no. This is too much. Is I, much I think, Peter, I think that's
4: the alien aspect of this. We're not sure. They're not sure. In the paper, I talked to the sheriff before he came in. It's not sure whether these are aliens or terrorists. Well, now, I know that uh, we've just been warned about aliens, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And uh, we know that we don't want to have – we don't want no truck with the aliens, Well, well that's right? what Stephen Hawking says. He that's says, what Stephen you know, Hawking says. They're probably said. going to
1: be said like Columbus. They're just going to ravage our culture.
4: He's a smart man and he should know what he's talking about. And now, about terrorists, I think we have to go to Senator Lieberman who really <laughs> understands what a – wait a minute. Understands what a terrorist is. Uh Uh, Does anybody understand exactly what a terrorist is? Let me put out a call.
1: Uh, Uh, I I can explain. Really? I, I did some research. No. I did some research, yes. I found out. This is the truth. Tell me. The concept started as international terrorism and it was developed in a conference in Jerusalem in the 70s, attended by Menachem Begin and and George Bush, Sr., mm-hmm. and lots of members of Israeli intelligence and lots of kind of neoconservative Americans. And the idea was yeah. is that international terrorism was a wing of the Soviet Union. If you remember back then, all of them terrorist groups were backed by the Soviets. That course. doesn't exist anymore because the Soviets don't exist anymore. But that it, it became a a political tool so that now now that now that if, if somebody's a terrorist let me put it this way you know yeah. somebody somebody goes on the campus university of virginia and shoots 12 people they're not a terrorist you know they're a crazy person there's no terrorism there because there's no ideology Okay, and if somebody goes and burns people down in a house, you know, they're an arsonist. But you just put a couple of firecrackers and some propane, right, in in a car in the the great right way and you're a terrorist and Lieberman wants to strip you of your citizenship. Here it is
4: from the uh, New York Times, actually from the editorial. By the way, I was picking up Luther Axe Handles. Uh, Yeah, Axe Handles. It's easy to do. It's it's just empathy there. Yeah. Uh, To get around the inconvenient fact that Mr. Uh, Shahzad is a citizen, Mr. Lieberman is even calling for a law allowing Americans accused, not convicted, of unspecified crimes to be stripped of their citizenship and retroactively deprived of due process under the
1: law. Joe, <laughs> Joe Lieberman. Joe, come on. I, how un American can you get? I mean I mean Joe, the traitor, the the, the man who uh, the turncoat, right? Uh, whom they wanted to strip of his of his seniority, which is kind of the citizenship in the Senate, yeah. and he got away with it, and now he's a power broker. This man is a—he's a pustule. Well, he's also the
4: co-author with McCain, of course, of another bill that would require anyone arrested on any terrorism-related charge— uh-huh. Yeah, any, terrorism any, related. Any terrorism this related? Is a, charge. This is
1: a person who's been accused and not convicted, not of terrorism, but of a terrorism-related charge. So Unspecified. We're, we're way out there, Mister. Unspecified, yeah, yes, Mr. Including
4: American citizens, yeah. <laughs> and retroactively, yeah, to de, uh, um, be declared an enemy competent, uh, incompetent, I should say, and uh, tried in a military court. Now, I, I, uh, this is ac- absolutely. The most un-American idea that anybody who was raised, what within let's say 1938 to 1968, yeah, would have thought that doing those kinds of things was totally un-American, was anti everything that America stood for. Stripping someone—I mean, this is Nazism.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's that, or it's something very much like it. And that's Oz for today. Oh Dave. boy, we we've given them a lot of Oz in a lot of ears. Yeah, so I want to tell you who is responsible for all this uh, lovely brew. Ha ha. Well, our our masters of ones and zeros is John. Coming. We've got Tom Gedwillow as our webmaster. Uh, Phil Fountain does all the beautiful things here on um, the Oz Design Group. Dave Maloney is our audio engineer. Phil, uh, Phil, Bill McIntyre is our producer. David Osmond is the co-host. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, and... And I have a little
4: closing found poem for everybody. Might take you back to 1993 here, when you and I were on tour on the road, Pete. Senator Packwood's famous question. Some men are as suave as Cary Grant, and others have the motor skills of Quasimodo. If you approach a woman... And she rebuffs you. And you say, that's it. And you're a gentleman. You don't pursue her. Simply because you made an approach to her, even if unartful. Are you guilty?
1: See you tomorrow.